Welcome to the Roll Bama Roll podcast. I'm Wesley Gullett as always. I'll be joined by Brad Canning. Brad, we're going to take recruiting on from a couple of different angles this episode. So let me start by asking this. Because this this cycle obviously is a lot different than any other cycle. Uh, with so many kids unable to visit campuses or have in-person meetings. So with seven months left until the early signing period, how seriously are you taking any early commitments right now? Uh, really in my head, I'm taking it about the same as I normally do, but it's hard to say because everything is so up in the air and every two weeks something changes. I feel like it's both the school and the players doing what's best for them based on what they think may happen. Uh, however, I do think you're going to probably see not just Alabama potentially, but anywhere. If there's some normalcy and freedom that returns that's allowed by the NCAA, man, I mean, this might change up pretty big. For me, Even in a normal cycle, there's usually some level of skepticism when a kid commits early, especially if it's an out-of-state prospect. But you're talking about 17, 18-year-old high school kids who, by the way, are being pulled in multiple directions uh, by some of the most influential and convincing recruiters in America. Uh, Not to mention their high school coaches, seven-on-seven coaches, family members, fans on Twitter. (laughs) I mean, it's almost natural for them to question if they made the right decision, uh, especially when all of those people listed have half a year to work on changing their minds. Yeah, I mean, and it's crazy too. You have this uh, this new threat to recruiting that's you know going after certain star players potentially, and you know, and that's the CDC as well. So you got <laughs> yeah. that factored in here. So, <laughs> <laughs> did you happen to see the graph twenty four seven Sports put out with the the early commitment numbers earlier this month? No, I did not. Okay, so so this is really wild, and it maybe provides a little insight on how some coaches or players are approaching this cycle. I know the numbers went up, but as of May 6th, there were 627 committed recruits in the 2021 class. 627. On May 6th of last year, there were 302 committed recruits for the 2020 class. On May 6th, two years ago, there were 243, and May 6th, three years ago, there were 299. The commitments are coming in so quickly for 2021 that there were more committed recruits in early May than we have had in any two previous years combined, any two ever. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty staggering too, but it's man, it's, that's just another mind-blowing thing throughout all of this. And that's one thing I'm glad that you brought up because in my head, when we talk about how this is different than any other year outside of the obvious, I wanted to know what the numbers are different for this year versus that. And the same thing will be come December. I'd love to know the average last five years, total decommitments of let's say top 500 or 350 players. And then what it would be going into whenever they do the first early signing day. Uh, Oh, that's going to be wild. And look, Maybe I'm wrong. I think some of this depends on how things unfold with the virus, but that makes me take the early commitments even less seriously than before. I mean, I think you almost have to. Yeah. Yeah. So if so many kids are making pledges based on a virtual tour or talking on the phone or a Zoom call, what happens if or when the dead period ends and they can start taking visits? Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and it's crazy. You can't fault them, though, real quick, because this no. is no different than the rush for toilet paper. Well, this is the rush <laughs> for a spot, you know. It is. They're securing their spots. But I think you're on to it, man. I'm telling you, it's it's going to be crazy. There's going to be an influx of a lot of 
cards being shuffled around. I, I really think that we see a gigantic flurry of decommitments, unlike any year ever. Like you'll see every staff in America pushing to get every prospect they even like in for a camp or an official visit, an unofficial. I think what you'll see is almost a full recruiting cycle condensed into you know three months or four months or whatever it's going to be. So yeah, think th- think about the, how wild a full recruiting cycle is, and then then now condense that into into a couple of months. Yeah, poor staff too. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, dude, it's going to be crazy. Like, I don't know if I have any eligibility left, but even I may get invited. I don't know what the cap is for invites, but good Lord, you have to think all of them are going to max it out. Uh, so some of this would probably depend on how the NCAA approaches their restrictions. Uh, the recruiting dead period was just extended until June 30th by the NCAA, which means no in-person recruiting allowed, no visits, nothing. They are meeting again May 27th to review the dead period dates, which means it could be extended again. But even if they actually lifted the dead period on June 30th, which I I doubt they will, that leaves what, Brad? Two months between that and the first game of the season. Can you even... Can you even pull a camp off at that point? I don't know how logistically any of this is going to be possible. Everyone is learning this the same we are. I mean, that's what's making this such a unique situation for college athletics or athletics as a whole. Any sport is it may not be an even playing field in terms of talent, but in terms of preparation and then the next steps forward it is an even playing field. It's just all going to be all about who does what at that point afterwards. Yeah, No blueprint whatsoever. None. And I'm telling you, how do you do a camp at that point? How do you do your fall workouts and then going into fall camp and you start having your practices? I mean, you're talking August. So actually July, end of July is when they start normally. So how I don't know how this is going to go. And certain conferences will be different. Certain states may restrict uh, certain public universities, state universities from doing things while other ones could. Yeah. We talked about Saban and staff. I can't remember if it was our last show, one before that. We talked about them maybe having to change their approach after the semi-slow recruiting start. And it's looking more and more like that will hold true. And they're realizing it too. They, they've they received two commitments, Brad, since we recorded last. One of those, Kane Williams, did not have the green light to commit a month or two ago. Now, he's a four-star, top 150 player, so he's highly ranked. But he was still a guy, like most prospects, that Alabama wanted to see in camp before accepting a commitment from. So fast forward to this past week, and the staff goes ahead and decides they like his tape enough to go ahead and and take the commitment. So you see the staff adjusting gradually. Yeah, and you know, as this transfer rule stuff changes year to year as well, this situation, you have to roll the dice on some of these players Mm -hmm. because it'll still allow an opportunity if it doesn't work out to benefit both parties a year later, depending on how the season goes. But I feel like no one's really given a eulogy for, you know, Jim Harbaugh and his uh, (laughs) satellite camps, camps, you know, (laughs) because... I'm telling you right now, he would be Nick Saban if he ha- he was able to come to Alabama and do that. Uh, what did they end up getting out of those satellite camps? Like four kids that Alabama nor Auburn wanted. They they got one big commitment from the South at, through all of that. Through all of that, it was Aubrey Solomon who ended up transferring to Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> so that worked out real well. Yeah, but no, man, it's it's wild and. These st- all the staffs that are going to have to do the, what we're talking about, how quickly they're going to have to break things down 
um, you know, and dissect each player camp, all that. They got to do that in a compressed time, like you said. But man, I, if this goes the way we're even thinking and we're able to have a season and, and compress all this down into a month before the season, and they go through all these uh, check marks of camps and stuff. <laughs> imagine what recruiting the next year would be. Uh, look, and just so nobody doubts, you know, I say like they didn't want to accept his commitment before he came to camp. Just so nobody doubts the abilities of Kane Williams, that's the approach they take with most players in the country every year. Exactly. I mean, the, we can rattle off names here. You yeah, know? there aren't many that can just call whenever they want and commit. Like whether they have a quote offer. Or not, that's just not a thing that happens. Alabama decided to, I don't know if you remember, they decided to push for Amari Cooper only <laughs> after his camp performance. Like, they they liked him, they invite him to camp, he shows out at camp, and then that's when they start pushing for his commitment. Yeah, uh, but again, you have to do these things, and it's also nice to know, even with all these scholarships still left, on paper at least, for this class, mm-hmm. you have this top 150 player in your back pocket that eventually you just answer their, you know, you up text. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, how I guess how many guys can do that? Uh, keep someone like that on the back burner for a couple of months and then decide, OK, well, we do like his tape. And, and, and like we mentioned, he's a four star top top 150. He's from Louisiana. <laughs> he's ranked, Brad, the fifth overall safety in the nation in the composite. Six two two oh five. Some view him as a tweener that could end up at linebacker, which I think is the main reason Alabama wanted to see him in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but their other commitment since our last recording is Ja'Cory Brooks from Miami. Brooks is the 18th overall player in the nation on rivals, and the top overall four-star in the country. Uh, he's the third overall receiver in the country on both rivals and 24-7's composite. So this would really put him in line to eventually become a five-star player if that ranking holds. This commitment would fall under he he doesn't have to come to camp and, and he can call and commit whenever he wants <laughs> that category. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and you know they they want to limit what happened go to the first year of the early signing period in December. Yeah. Um and, and granted they have done that not only with hires and approaches and everything being changed, but it's odd say you're still going to have one or two maybe, but the whole Bobby Brown thing will never be forgotten. I promise you that. Oh no. So yeah. yeah. They're making damn sure as best they can, regardless if they do decommit later. Mm-hmm. They're in a better place now than some of the different recruits they've had over, say, the last three years. Yeah, and even when you step back and look at Ja'Cory Brooks, he's from Miami. We're seven months away from signing day. His last visit to Alabama was in October. So this is, this is like I said earlier, where I've become more cautious than I would have if they get this same exact commitment a year ago. And I, I hope the airlines are ready when they're uh, <laughs> when they open this thing back up. <laughs> you know who I think could have the biggest fallout if things go back to normal at some point and visits and camps are back on. Like, who could really, really get crushed by this? Well, if the if their coach actually could, you know, secure recruits, I'd say Michigan. But I, I have a feeling it's still going to be another team that you love. <laughs> Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee. Pruitt's approach during this pandemic is is crystal clear. If they like him on tape, they will take his commitment. And from the outside, it seems like they're assuming the worst in this. So they're trying to sure up their class in what's really an unsure time. So like we said earlier, there's no blueprint for this. So we might look back a couple months from now and think, Jeremy Pruitt had it down. That was the correct way to go about it. Yeah, look, I mean, you can't fill your 
you know, your class if you don't have, you know, a little bit extra just in case. Yeah, it could be the correct way to go about it, but this could also blow up in their face. Oh, and there's a good chance it may, uh, <laughs> you know, may just do that. But how many how many commitments do they have so far? 21. 21, okay. In May, which is, that's not normal. Yeah, so, <laughs> Butch Jones is still around. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, if you look around the conference, as of this recording, Alabama has five commitments. <laughs> Auburn has eight, Georgia seven, LSU nine. The next highest in the SEC is Florida with 12. And 12 is really still a pretty high number to have in May. That's that, half your class almost, you know. Yeah, I mean, your, quote, limit in the SEC is 25. Tennessee has 21. Only two of those, by the way, are from the state of Tennessee. So Pruitt has 19 out-of-state kids committed early right now, which, again, that could spell disaster if some of those guys can take visits in, in the near future. Oh, I mean, it's yeah, he's going to make a mad dash as soon as this thing opens up. He's got all these other states he's going to have to go to and, and <laughs> get some players out of there because it seems like he is, you know, maybe taking that approach. Hey, let's let's have our normal board, but let's also have our reserve here. Uh, and they're probably more serious about getting those guys. Hell, if I'm them, I'd take silent commitments out the you know yin yang right now. Yeah, you know, because you, it's going to come. And I don't, I don't want to put that out there. Like I definitely think it's going to happen. Like I don't want to yeah. act like it's it's inevitable because I know as much as anybody else does. I have no idea how any of this is going to go. I mean, for God's sake, I don't know anything, and that's three years worth of evidence on this podcast. <laughs> but you know, it's just an opinion. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, I'm look, like a, yeah. Yeah, even last year, I thought the main candidate to get hit late in the 2020 cycle was LSU. I think I think we talked about that. No, that. we absolutely did. I mean, yeah. and not, not. I mean, it's just crazy looking back. I mean, uh, I don't know who looked like a bigger fool, Clemson or us. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, LSU had a ton of highly ranked out of state guys committed really, really early, and they they did they lost some of those kids here and there. They they had some decommitments, like everyone else does. But to their credit, they kept most of those guys. They closed strong. They finished with a top five class. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to Tennessee's credit, they have the second-ranked class in the nation right now behind Ohio State. What do you say? That overall number is a, a little bit deceiving due to quantity, but still, they have a lot to be excited about. No, that's the whole thing, though, is would you rather your coach be proactive or you know, would you rather have Derek Dooley? So, well, <laughs> uh, I'd, probably, I'd rather have Butch Jones than Derek Dooley. Well, I mean, honestly, Bush would have about 32 right now. So, like on the list, on the list of bad Tennessee coaches, Derek Dooley has to be at the bottom, right? Mm, yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't want to go off on that tangent because he's got some of my favorite clown moments uh, during his <laughs> tenure. Uh, but that's what uh, I mean in terms of recruiting. You know, it's just you can't fault Pruitt for trying too hard because if he wasn't trying too hard, he'd still, you know, be getting raked over the coals for that. So uh, this is this is off subject a little bit. But do you remember when Derek Dooley brought the bar stool, like the wooden bar stool on the sideline and sat uh, on it the entire game? That was the LSU (laughs) game, wasn't it? I can't remember. I just remember him. He was in his white polo and orange pants and he was sitting on an orange wooden bar stool the entire game. (sighs) So weird. But well, there was anyways. a lot of orange sitting in bar stools that year. So, <laughs> yeah. But look, Tennessee has 12 three-stars committed. 
11 are not inside the top 400. So they only have two players in the top 100. Those two are very good. They're top 25 guys. Uh, and some of those those three stars will, will probably move up if they have senior season senior seasons worthy of a bump. But their average per commit right now, Brad, is 89.73, which is good enough for 16th highest in the country and would, would have put them around the 15th overall class last year too. So while they, they should be happy, they do have something to be excited about, I feel like some of the pub that this recruiting run has received – it's been a little overblown. Yeah, I, I bet Pruitt's stock portfolio looks like a lot of out of the money, you know, <laughs> cheap options, just buying those suckers right up, hoping it moves enough to make some money. He's a you penny know, stock guy. Yeah, there you go. I mean, yeah. uh, but look, he has to do things like this as a first time coach because. I mean, he don't know anything else. He's been around things, yes, but he's in full control now. So it's either going to make him or break him, and if it breaks him, he's only going to learn from it as well. So uh, I did. I saw one of. The, I can't remember which one. It was one of their former players was claiming like, "Hey, this class will be competing for national championships within." I can't remember <clears throat> if it was two or three seasons, but I mean, it's May. But look, I mean, I guess they have people buzzing. They have a lot of people talking about Tennessee, including us right now. So, yeah, it's no coincidence they have the same school initials as Texas, though. So, just saying. <laughs> uh, where, <laughs> Talking about that type of hype. Uh. <laughs> where do you stand on this? And then we'll, we'll kind of finish up. But I know you're a fan of Jeremy Pruitt's, right? Uh, I'm a fan of his. If, yeah, not not as a Tennessee head coach. Uh, right, as, exactly. Yeah. So, this, this kind of plays into this question. If, and this is a big if, he has success at Tennessee – I know both of us and probably a large portion of our fan base would be open to the idea of him being hired at Alabama. And I think I asked you this a long time ago, but do you wish him continued success there, which coincides with Tennessee's success? Or do you just always wish the worst for Tennessee, which would coincide with what's not really best for Jeremy Pruitt and the, the prospects of him ending up at Alabama? Well, I don't have kids, but I imagine this is the football version of pick your favorite child. You know, yeah. <laughs> do you want them to be what they've been or worse? Or do you want to parlay something that's good enough in our eyes to bring in to, you know, hopefully sustain some things? Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, it's it's no different than what the, the committee would look like, you know, look at if it comes down to two teams. It's not about maybe the record. It's going to be about everything around that. And, you know, with him, this recruiting thing, we already knew that was probably going to have the success more than anything else. But he's going to have to snap the streak, which I'd say at some point that's going to happen, whatever decade that is. But he's going to have to have some, you know, pretty good bowl game appearances. I'm torn. You know, it's hard to say. I mean, my gut tells me I can swallow it enough and I know I'm going to get shot. You already (laughs) hate me in the comments as it is, but, you know, good Lord. Uh the biased part of me wants to believe that I hope he has just enough, whatever that entails, to make sure it is hashtag never Dabo. Yeah. Like, did you see that video, by the way, with the gloves? I report? did. God, that was so bad. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah. yeah. That's all I need to know. <laughs> yeah, for anybody that doesn't know, Dabo made a TikTok video, which will make anyone that watches it cringe. How that didn't kill that, that platform bad. that day, I don't know. Yeah, it's bad. But 
back back to the subject at hand. I, yeah, I, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah. <laughs> and I know this is that's a tough question. Like, uh, but I still feel like this is potentially a win-win for Alabama. Personally, I'm never going to want Tennessee to win literally anything ever. I don't want them to win a club badminton match. Okay, but if Pruitt somehow lifts them out of the dumpster. If he brings some stability to their program and he has them competing for maybe a division or conference championship or possibly even a spot in the playoffs, I think at that point you're going to see our fan base unite in the idea that that he should be our next coach. If he's just average or if you see a decline in some of the momentum they've built, Tennessee's misery continues, which is a lot of fun for all of us. Uh, there's actually, there's actually you know, the other scenario, too. He tanks, gets fired, comes back yes. on the staff for a couple of years, transition role. There you go. That was actually my third scenario. Oh, if well, he, excuse he, me. <laughs> no, I mean, no, that's great, though. But if he ends up falling on his face, at worst, you know he's an elite defensive coordinator. And you know there's probably no other school he'd rather be at. So maybe, maybe this is us, like, seeing it the way that we want to see it. But I think your options here are, A, he's elite, and if so, he's at Alabama next. B, he's just okay to good, uh, and Tennessee is decent during his tenure, which almost puts them in, like, college football limbo, right? It's like the Mark Richt effect. <laughs> yeah, uh, you get the either, you're either going to get the Mark Richt or the Bo Poldini. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and then C is he's awful, and we kind of get to witness their stay in the trash can for even longer. And then we have an elite option at DC. So this is just, it's a win-win-win scenario, right? If you view if you view it that way. Yeah, depending on which one, yeah. And, you know, I'd welcome, I actually, you know, we've all talked about this, but I've seen more people come around it, too, in the last year or two as well as a potential. But uh, I'd welcome Nick Saban's best defensive coordinator he's ever had back, no doubt. So. Yeah. Uh, and I want to thank everybody that's made it this far too. I know it's a not a Tennessee podcast, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. uh, look, I mean, you know, there's the Alabama connection with Jeremy Pruitt. And, no, for sure. Yeah. And, and Tennessee really has been the story of college football for the past two and a half, three weeks now. I mean, it, like this recruiting run has gotten gained national attention, and and it's really what everybody's been talking about in, in the college football landscape. So that's kind of why I went with the in the in that direction. Well, and you know, if this works out for them, the other thing is of a change in recruiting would be it's going to happen more often next year and the year yeah. after. Yeah, but like overall, there are worse positions to be in if you're Alabama looking at Tennessee right now. I mean, I don't even – I've been in dark places in my life, but I, I don't <laughs> yeah, even yeah. – mm. <laughs> I've, I've been a part of those worse positions to be in if you're Alabama looking at Tennessee, so – I, oh, I, mean, know, I, I, I know I know that kids in high school don't believe this, but there was a time when Tennessee was was beating us uh, pretty regularly. Buddy, it's it's like the Baltimore, you know, like I've repressed <laughs> things. Okay, so uh, that, that story seems gonna, like fan fiction now. But. Yeah, we're not going to transition transition into a session, a therapy <laughs> session right now. So uh, I'll right. let you make me look like the bandwagoner. Uh, Let's just do it that way. <laughs> That's fine. All right, well, we'll leave it at that. This has been the Roll Bim Roll podcast. Roll Todd.